welcome to Ministries That Podcast, where I talk to successful ministry leaders about how they're using podcasting to amplify their mission and grow their ministry. I'm Tim Hall, your host and owner of Sonomorphic, a podcast production company that specializes in podcasting for ministries. My guests today are John Collins and Dan Gummel from Bible Project. John is a co-founder and the chief creative officer. He's got a BA in biblical studies from Multnomah University and is affectionately known by the team as the architect of ideas. He's a master of making complex ideas simple. Now, Dan is the lead editor and producer for everything podcast, audio production, and sonic branding at Bible Project. So we're going to sit down and talk about how the Bible Project podcast started by recording conversations they were already having in their office, what the process looks like for developing each series, and the value of creating episodes around questions from their audience. So let's jump into it. Here's my conversation with John Collins and Dan Gummel. John and Dan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, so I first heard about the Bible Project probably around the same time that it started in 2014 via YouTube video. I can't even at this point remember what it was, what I watched the first time, and then got more familiar with the Bible Project when we interviewed Steve Atkinson, who's now the CEO of Bible Project, on the Entree Leadership podcast that I'd been producing before I left recently. And learned more about the mission that y'all have. And the line that stuck out from that conversation was your mission statement of helping people experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. And I love that. that I'm sure it took a lot of time to get to that exact phrasing, but it's, it's a fantastic phrase. And so the podcast came along then soon after. Uh, he started the videos and the YouTube channel and all that in 14. And then the podcast started publishing in October of 2015. So I'd love to hear about the conversations that y'all had as you're thinking about starting the podcast in addition to those videos. Yeah. So to make a video, the first thing that we do is Tim will have all of these notes that he's compiled over years of study. And so he'll bring all those notes together on the topic that we want to make a video on, and he'll walk me through the notes. And it turns into this kind of like one-on-one seminary-level conversation that I get to have with like a really smart biblical theology guy. And my experience before Bible Project was making animated videos mainly to explain tech products. And when I would do that, I would usually go into a client's office and meet with one or two people or a whole team. And I'd have to pull out of them all of the information. What are they trying to communicate? And in order for me to write a really great script, I needed to push back and really ask clarifying questions and make sure I understood it really well so that I could go and actually then write a script. And I always really enjoyed that time. And I would always tell the clients like, look, I'm on your side, but I might kind of play devil's advocate, but that's just because I want to be able to really make sure I understand this. And I might ask stupid questions because I just don't know as much as you. So like I apologize in advance. And that would actually really help me feel more brave to just ask the questions I Mm. had. So I just kind of learned this shtick of just like being the guy, just trying to figure it out. And so when Tim and I started working on Bible Project, I just took that whole process. And we would have these long conversations that walked through his notes. And then we'd make a video, write a video and then make the video. And so at some point, I guess it was October 2015. (laughs) I was like, Tim, (laughs) these conversations are so great. They're so beneficial. 
I enjoy them so much. Let's turn on a mic and let's see if other people enjoy listening in too. So it was that simple. It was just, let's turn on a mic. We're already doing this. We're already having these conversations. Let's just record them and then put them up as a podcast. Yeah, and it's gone gone really well. You know, it's always sitting there in the top of the religion and spirituality charts in Apple Podcasts. A ton of people listen. So great work on that. And I'm glad you started recording those conversations. And Dan, at what point did you come along to help with the podcast as a, as a lead editor helping with producing the show? Yeah, so I was an independent producer at an NPR affiliate in Ohio. And I met John in that like 2015, 2016 timeframe. There's an old podcast episode called God and Money. Mm. And he and I met in Nashville and we... I just kind of helped him a little bit with some of the interviews on that. But um, he had been making the show himself in the early days. And I really enjoyed talking with John. And I thought that his and Tim's chemistry was like incredible. I mean, they were friends before they started the Bible Project. And Tim's teaching knowledge was just very unique. And John's ability to discern and questions and hone in on things, I thought was the chemistry was already there. And so John called me at the start of 2017, actually. And he was like, hey, our YouTube channel is really growing and I want to pay more attention to YouTube, but I also want to keep doing the podcast. So would you like to start producing and editing it? And so I started doing that in 2017. And, you know, it was just kind of a slow burn. And over time, we were blessed to be able to just kind of add staff. I eventually moved out to Portland and the show has kind of just continued to develop over the years. Yeah, so let's talk about the the process that goes into making the series. So you have a format, it's a series of episodes on a specific topic, and I'm sure there's a lot that goes into that. But Dan and John, walk me through what it takes to create one of these series. Specifically, John, you're already talking about some of those conversations that you were already having with Tim. But how have you then changed that to be packaged into a podcast? And what do those roles look like for y'all? So yeah, it starts with Tim just compiling his notes. Well, I guess it starts with Tim and I going, let's make a video on, okay, and then we kind of choose a topic. And it's usually based off of, um, we have a long list. We have a long list of theme videos that we want to do. And so we'll just kind of be like, which one seems the most interesting right now? And then Tim will bring his notes. And we don't over-architect the series. We don't sit down and map the whole thing out. We often have an idea of like maybe how many weeks we think we'd like it to run for, but even then, that's very flexible. It's kind of like, how long is it going to take us to get through this content? And so we just sit down and just start recording, and when we get to an hour, we stop, (laughs) (laughs) and then we start a new hour. And uh, I just follow my own curiosity, so my own questions to try to make sense of it, and then Tim, is I think his role is to kind of reel me back in and make sure that we stay on task and actually get through all the content. And with that give and take, kind of then we find our way through the show. And then from there, I mean, Dan could talk about how that gets shipped into an episode, but we don't overly design an episode. And I guess I should also say is we don't prepare. Like uh, Hmm. Tim's prepared, but I don't go over his notes beforehand. I go in cold on purpose because I want to be thinking like the person listening who's also coming in cold. And so I want to really empathize with the listener, like, how is this going to be received? What questions might they have? And it's been a good approach. 
it works and it means I don't have to do as much work <laughs> myself. So we'll keep it going that way. Yeah. In terms of how a series develops once it's been recorded, you know, it used to be that basically like John and Tim would record an episode and then I would just work on it that week and I'd be like, all right, it's ready to go out on Monday. But as we've kind of developed, uh, we've got some great project managers on staff and some other people who can work on the show in different capacities. We book out now like an episode that we might complete, might not go to air for like three, four, maybe five months. And so we're months ahead, which feels really good now for us that it's not like a week-to-week kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And that that's really a testament to just other people on the team. And then where, like John said, where a lot of the magic is, is that it's really not scripted. There's no, Tim is really prepared with his notes, but there's there's usually just a high degree of kind of conversational, genuine dialogue that they haven't had before. And there will be times where we'll decide to go back and John might be like, you know what, I really want to re-say this differently or whatever. But that's just a conversation that's down the road. So we go through multiple different edits. We go through a blocked edit, a rough draft, and then a final. Or at the end, we'll do mixes. And inside of that, we'll also do our writing of the intro and the outro. Nice. Yeah, so along with that, you're talking about, John, how the episodes kind of unfold as they do with just however long it takes to get through the discussion that you want to get through is it equals that many episodes, right? Yeah, so better or worse. To what extent can you map that out? So Dan, you're saying that you're three to five months out on some of these episodes. To what extent do you feel like you can accurately map these out? Or is it just like the work is already done and you're that far ahead of of publish just because you're having these conversations so frequently? Part of that is kind of like the joy of discovery. Like there will be... Mm times when we might project like Tim and John might say hey I think it'll take us eight episodes to get through eight hours to get through like this topic but then they might get halfway through and John's like well I'm really interested in this thing and it's going to be another like Mm. three episodes or whatever (laughs) and so that's happened a handful of times and it's really just kind of a conversation with our team about how do we kind of restack the schedule the beauty of that I think is there will be times that I would be skeptical. I remember several series where I was skeptical about like, I don't think that this part is actually interesting. Hmm. And then we would stay on, like there was one time that we stayed on this really obscure part in the book of Daniel. And I was like, I don't think anybody's going to listen to like this specific episode is way too in the weeds. And it ended up being like one of our most popular episodes <laughs> in that series. And I think it's been cool to see our listeners just be willing to really go into the real complexity of the Bible with Tim and John and not be afraid of like, this thing is dragging on for 12 episodes or 15 (laughs) episodes or whatever. Yeah. So you were talking about the different edits that you do. So it sounds like there's some conversations after you record the episodes of like, hey, this thing may be dragged on for too long or whatnot. What are those conversations like, Dan, between you and John and Tim? It doesn't really happen that often. Okay. I think John okay. and Tim are pretty, they are really authentic in their voices. And there will be times where I'll raise something up to them. But Yeah, um, I mean, Dan, you kind of use your own intuition. Yeah. Uh, I don't even pay close enough attention to know how much you're cutting out or not. Yeah. So on, on one level, we're just tightening things yeah, up, sure. right? Yeah, sure. So false starts, 
too many ums and ahs, that kind of stuff. So that's simple. But then there's some editorial decisions of like, John, you went out with this anecdote about like you and your kids, and it just doesn't land. So sometimes you just cut that out completely. Or it's just the episode was way too long and we just didn't need a section. And oftentimes Dan just kind of just, yeah, he just runs with that. I don't, we'll listen to an episode before it goes live just to kind of just spot check like whether there's any big problems. But there's a lot of trust now. I mean, Dan's been doing it for a long time. He knows our audience. Dan knows our voice. And so a lot of those kind of editorial decisions become pretty simple. Yeah. I don't know. How much of an episode do you cut out, Dan, on a, on a typical episode? Well, so maybe the way that I can answer that is, Tim, there's an editing philosophy, producing philosophy that I developed when I was so fortunate to be affiliated with NPR in Ohio. And it's basically this, like the editor producer has a two-part role. First part role is to help the talent sound their best version of themselves. And so inside of that role is like everything from like mics to mic placement to what John was just saying, like basically like the disfluencies, Mm -hmm. editing out ums and uhs and making the conversation move along, but not be robotic. Yeah. And then the third part, like you were saying a second ago, is kind of those editorial decisions or suggestions of like, hey, you know, you mentioned this thing. Are you aware of how that might come across or do you want to share that story about you with your family member or whatever? And that's just a matter of kind of surfacing that up. Or over time, you get into a relationship where you sometimes you just like, man, you know, John might just want that to be deleted and I'll just delete it or I'll just set it aside and show it to him later. And then the second part of the editing philosophy is basically your job is to represent the audience. I really want to try and honor people's time. Time is the best gift that somebody can Mm -hmm. ever give you. And if you are constantly striving to deliver value to somebody when they're clicking play, then you're honoring their time. And so I and the rest of our team, I think we're really trying to make something that feels engaging, that doesn't have a lot of chit chat or non-topical conversation on it. Yeah. So tell me about the rest of the team. You mentioned that uh, you're the lead editor who else gets to be part of these conversations and taking them from the raw conversations to to distributing them on on podcasts and YouTube? So there's a lot of people involved now. We have a guy named Colin Wilson who is kind of our VP of content. Yeah, media. So, I mean, because we've got our podcast, but we also do all our animated videos. Yeah. We also film classes. Mm-hmm. So we have a, like a production for filming. We also have a brand studio that does a lot of creative collateral. And so all of these studios are all coordinated by Colin. Yeah. So Colin is aware of everything going on in the podcast, but he's not hands-in. And then and then there's Cooper, yep. who's kind of the same thing. Like he oversees a number of these production teams just as like an, like an executive producer of sorts. Yes. And so he's very aware of what's going on, but he's not hands-in. So then that brings us to, like, the real team that works on the podcast. The people yeah. actually doing yeah. the work. And that's Lindsay Ponder, who's producing the show week to week, coordinating schedules and deadlines and that yeah. stuff, helping me write intros. And then there's an editing team. Dan is the lead editor. We've got Tyler Bailey, who is often now engineering and mixing the episodes he might also be doing some edits. 
But then we often use a contractor, a guy named Frank, who does a lot of our first assembly edits, just kind of keep things moving. Yeah. And so it's a lot of hands in, in the pot for what is actually a kind of a simple episode, but what that's allowed us to do is start to get ahead right. um, and start thinking about what else we could do with the show um, in the future. It definitely is like the show structure, I think, you know, is pretty straightforward most of the time. But I think what that disguises is that sometimes having really interesting conversations for an hour is actually more difficult than mm. you think it would be. And Tim and John do a great job of that with their chemistry. And then I think our team, we're trying to come in and support that, whether it's with like, hey, this conversation is getting a little bit boring, so let's take a music break here. And we figure out how to build a break. Or, hey, one of our goals this year was we really wanted to try and target episodes to be around more like 45 minutes in length. And so, like, as a team, we've tried to, like, move towards that. And that's something that we'll bring up in our meetings. You know, we just want to better serve our listeners that way. Yeah, that's great insight. And, Dan, you didn't come on the team until, I think you said, 17. So it obviously hasn't had this complexity throughout. It's ramped up to get to this point where you can have multiple people working on it and be able to, to support it at that level. What did it look like back at the beginning as you were starting to have these conversations and recording them? John, were you more involved with the production of it at that point? Yeah, when we started, it was just me and Tim. So I would bring in a mic. We actually, our, our first conversations were literally in a closet under a stairwell <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a mic. And then actually, I really would enjoy going back and re-listening because that's helping me write. Yeah. My job is to kind of boil this all down. And so by re-listening, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was the idea. That was that point. Oh, Tim said that really well. I love that language. And while I'm re-listening, I'm just cutting the fat. Just cut, 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 cut. And then when I finished an episode, kind of listening and cutting, what I realized was like, you know, what would really be nice for the audience is to not just jump into this conversation, but to kind of get a preview of where we're going. And I really modeled this after what Krista Tippett does with On Bing, which is she just has this like two or three minute montage at the beginning of her episode where she just kind of says, I'm going to talk to this person. This is who this person is. And we talked about this cool idea, then throws to a clip. Mm. And then we talked about this cool idea. Like, I thought about this and throws to a clip. And then you kind of just get a taste of like, oh, that yeah. sounds interesting. I want to hang in for that. And you also get a little bit of a map of like where we're going and why it matters. And so it's kind of like this nice little trailer. And my whole professional career has been about making things really simple and shorter. Yeah. So it's kind of like this moment of like, if this is all you listen to, is the first few minutes, like at least you'll get a little couple nuggets. And so after cutting an episode, I'd always be trying to find those clips. Where are mm. those little nuggets that Tim says? And then I'd pull those to the front and then I'd write a little intro around those clips. And then every time there was just kind of this natural pause, we would just throw in a music break. I'd just put some music in. So that became the format. And I had done, I don't know how many episodes before Dan came in. And then Dan just kind of took that format and, and continued it on. Kind of that simple. Podcasting takes a lot of time, effort, and to be honest, a lot of Googling. What if you could ask like-minded people how to overcome the challenges you're facing starting a podcast, growing a podcast, or producing multiple podcasts? 
I think starting a community like that would be super valuable, but I want to know what you think. Would you be interested in being part of a community of ministry leaders using podcasts to amplify their mission and grow their ministry? If so, let me know by filling out the interest form using the link in the show notes. Another thing that you do besides just the recording, the the series in those hour-long conversations is you have these question and response episodes. So a mm-hmm. couple questions with those. How did those come about? And then how have those helped you create more content for your audience? John, did they come about? I think they might have been inherited from like when you and Tim used to do like the stuff on YouTube, like the, what did you call those? Like the question and responses yeah, question of the response. books? Yeah, I think we first did it based off of videos. Yeah. So we would do like uh, question and response episodes where yeah. we would either answer comments that were coming in okay. or maybe we even asked the audience for ones and we would just do a like a, a YouTube live kind of thing. Yeah. And that's where Tim actually introduced the vernacular of question and response. Just so Tim, it's like, I'm not going to give you an answer. I'm going to yeah. give you a response. And so how did that got into the podcast? I'm not sure, but Dan has always been a big advocate for the question and responses. Yeah. And probably because you're just thinking about the audience and and wanting to care for the audience. And it's an opportunity for us to hear the way that our audience is reflecting on and kind of receiving all this content and then giving them a voice to interact. And so, so every series, Dan will just prioritize doing them now we're doing usually two Mm. per series and we always get way too many questions we can't answer them all yeah tim always thinks he's gonna be able to do like eight or ten and we'll get to like four or five at the most (laughs) yeah i am a big fan of q and r's probably some of it comes from just my days in public radio Mm. of how it was always like very much a crowdfunded like you would always have these pledge drives or you'd be out on the weekends, like at a booth and you, you know, people would write in and be like, oh, I just heard this story. Like, thank you for making this story. But I think the way that I approach it is podcasts is like the data shows that most people listen to them by themselves. Right. So you're in the car, you're doing the dishes or whatever. But the way that they are spread is through community. Mm-hmm. Most people find podcasts when someone texts them and be like, hey, you should check out this episode or it's a very communal-based medium, even though you listen to it individually. And because Tim and John's chemistry was so good and the topics of discussion were so compelling, there was a community like sprouting up around that. And it was really just a matter of prioritizing and continuing to prioritize. We have different ideas about how to do this in the future. But like continuing to prioritize building an authentic community through that. And one of the ways you do that is by having, for us right now, these Q&R episodes. And so it's a really empowering moment and we're not tricking anybody. We're just, a lot of people have those questions and we love it. It's my favorite week. Anytime that we do mm-hmm. a Q&R, like I always put that on my calendar. I like to do the whole show basically yeah. myself because it, it just gives me a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime that you can get feedback from your audience and just creating that feedback loop, I think is is a huge thing that can be easy to overlook as a as a podcaster of just I'm gonna throw this out there and hopefully they like it. But yeah, being able to hear them and answer questions that they have is I think is fantastic. So one of the things about the Bio Project that's interesting is that y'all are a nonprofit 
and crowdfunded. I read on your website, the Bible Project is a nonprofit crowdfunded organization that relies on patrons. So how did you come up with that method of basically monetizing your content by getting people engaged around it through crowdfunding as opposed to sponsors and ads or something like that? Because you do have a huge audience and you could make a lot of money if you did sponsors or ads, but I'm... Could we? (laughs) (laughs) You know, actually, surprisingly, I think it works better what we're doing than sponsors and ads. Yeah, tell me about that. I think we actually do bring in more money through this model and it's simpler and we don't have to then distract our audience with sponsors and ads. So it's a win-win-win. Um, I mean, the big question is, how do you get enough money to keep making yeah. more videos? And that was the main question for me because my interest in this project wasn't to build a business. I had a business. I was working in my second kind of business mm. that I had built. I found some some pretty good success in this video production company that I had built. But the business was actually kind of sucking my mm. soul out a little bit because it was so driven by bottom line that creatively it became a place where it's like, I don't even enjoy working here. Mm. And the artists and creatives we would hire, I could feel their angst too. And I was just like, ugh, like what? This is no fun. Why? It's not worth it mm. just to make money. And so when we started this project, I just thought it would be something on the side that I would do with Tim and we would hire contractors. And we just, I just was like, we just need enough money to get the next video funded so I could keep paying contractors. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason to have a paywall if we don't have to. I don't think that's a smart tactic to raise money. And then at this time, it was becoming a thing where YouTubers would, Patreon wasn't a thing yet, mm-hmm. but there was this early version of Patreon called Subbable, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you know the Green Brothers, but they yeah. they have a podcast. They're YouTubers and now they're famous authors and other things. But they they had this YouTube channel called Crash Course, and they actually were given a grant by YouTube, like I think a million-dollar grant to make a bunch of content. And once they had finished that grant... They were like, okay, well, we need more money to keep making videos. Do we go after another grant? Do we start running ads? And that's when they had this brilliant idea of like, well, we have 200,000 subscribers now, whatever they had. Why don't we just go to the subscribers and ask them to fund the next videos? And so they built this thing called Subbable that allowed their subscribers to just pitch in money. And it worked. I think within like the first few days, they brought in like $50,000. And so other YouTube creators were now on their platform. And so I was just like studying. It was mostly science channels, like how much money they were bringing in per piece of content by just asking their audience to fund the next Mm. one. So that's the patronage model. And now it's, you know, a lot of people do it. Patreon's huge. And so it's like, if you're going to do serial content, just ask those who are benefiting from it to keep paying for yeah. it. And and you don't have to be a nonprofit to do that. The reason why we became a nonprofit was because we didn't have any desire to try to own the um it felt weird to like make stuff about the Bible and be like we own it. And there's a shareholder culture that I kind of wanted to step away from of like businesses are all about bringing value to the shareholders and I was like what would it be like to have a business where it's like we really just want to bring value to the audience like that's all we care about there's no shareholders and so the nonprofit allows us to do that nice yeah that's great to hear it unpacked like that because a lot of people 
are kind of figuring out what model they should be doing. I've talked to several that are doing donation models, and it's worked really well. And some that have decided to stay with sponsorships, that's how they decided to do it. So that's that's cool to hear your perspective. Uh, I'm going to jump into what I call the high pass segment now, which is an audio pun here, where we ignore the lows and I ask you about some of your favorite things. I was wondering, I, that's what I thought it was. I was like, <laughs> is this some sort of like engineering, like audio <laughs> little audio uh, joke. joke here. It yeah, is. Okay, it is. I, I was trying to figure out some sort of a little segment to throw towards the end of the episode and uh, landed there. But so first question for both of you is what's been your favorite series that you've done on the podcast? I don't know. I don't know, John. I'd love to hear what you said. Uh, I mean, I don't want to play favorites. <laughs> I think you need to, though. That's the question. I, I really want to know. Um, I think... Uh, so, the Holy Spirit conversation mm-hmm. um, was really, really impactful for me. Learning the Hebrew idea of ruach just it stuck with me so much. I grew up in a Christianity that's very secular, I suppose, and the Holy Spirit exists, but like, you know, don't try to interact with them. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of gave me this more enchanted view of the world and of myself. And that was really impactful. Very early on, the Image of God series was also really, really fundamental for me, reshaping the way I think about the story of the Bible, of not being about us just kind of hanging out and waiting for heaven one day and being thankful that God's putting up with us, which is kind of the story, I believe, mm, for some reason. Yeah. And instead, this idea of being created as God's image to reflect his character and to work in partnership with him to rule the world, to rule creation. Like that's a pretty grand story and that one day heaven and earth will unite. So that whole conversation, that was very early on. I think it was maybe even the first one to air on the show. So th- yeah. Those two are standout ones. Dan, what about you? Yeah, I really like those two. Probably the other one I would add is Tim and John did a it was a shorter series, only a couple episodes on uh, the idea of the soul, also called the nefesh. And that one equally, I think, is just, it was fun for me to work on. And it, in terms of just delivering really, I think, quality dialogue that gave somebody a lot to walk away with and, mm. and maybe change some of their perspectives, I think that was like huge. Some of the other ones I think that we've done over the years, like, we're in the middle of one right now that is rapidly becoming one of my favorites, which is about the Chaos Dragon. Yeah. And uh, our team has done an incredible job. Tyler Bailey is doing a really great job running on that series. And it's a really compelling topic around dragons in the Bible. Yeah. All right. Next question. What's one of your favorite stories from a listener about how the Bible Project podcast has impacted their life? There was this really cool thing that happened maybe six months ago or something, um, within the course of a week, we got two stories. And together, the stories are kind of like my favorite mm. anecdotal set of stories. Although the main thing I love is just hearing from people who go, the Bible's coming to mm. life for me. Yeah. Or I gave up on the Bible, and now I have this kind of renewed passion for the Bible. And it's always just really encouraging to hear. But we got an email from an astronaut yeah. Tracy 
Caldwell Dyson, who actually is going on her second tour of the International Space Station next year. And she gave us this beautiful email about she was listening through one of the series where we were talking about kind of the chaos waters. And she just started talking about viewing the Earth from space and how fragile it is, but how beautiful it is and how she just loves to follow along on the podcast. And it's just like really encouraging. This astronaut is just like just this incredibly smart, incredibly like superhero type Mm. human who's like just hanging out with us. How cool is that? And then the same week, we get an email from a truck driver, a female truck driver, who's just like, hey, thank you so much for the podcast. I listen to it on the road. It like helps me as I'm, you know, driving my truck around. And so it's like, got these two emails and one is like this woman up in space listening to the podcast. The other one's this woman who's just on the highway just listening to the podcast. And it was just kind of cool to like think about what Dan was saying. Like there's a community of people listening and there's a big breadth of people. There's people who are PhDs in chemistry who are like hanging out on the space station. And then there's people who are just like delivering goods to the next city. And we can hang out with both of them and talk about really geeky, like, literary stuff about the Bible. It was really encouraging. That's really cool. We're actually having Tracy Caldwell Dyson on, on the show here in a little bit. Oh. I'm really looking forward to that. But I think my favorite was a few years ago, this was before COVID, but a guy came by on a tour of our studio and he came up to the podcast room and he was saying how through listening to Tim and John and, and the show, he had been able to like walk away from some really destructive things in his life and get back together with his wife and reform his marriage with his wife. And then the second one on that was, I think it was last year, we got a note about basically a guy and a girl, I think in Europe, met through talking about the podcast, either online or in some sort of group and they ended up getting married. And so I was like, oh, wow, this is great. We're like playing matchmaker now. <laughs> That's cool. So, All right. Well, as we close this episode, one last question for you. You know, you've been making the podcast now for about eight years. What's your best advice that you would have to another ministry out there that's working on a podcast to encourage them to keep going? I think from a producer perspective and from an editing perspective, it would just go back to what I was saying earlier. Like, number one, like, if you're working on the show, it doesn't matter if you have the talent or not, make something that you're proud of and keep in mind the the editing of honoring people with their time. Mm-hmm. And so trying to deliver a product that is valuable to them in a reasonable time. And then about building community, like building a community, there's a variety of different ways to do it, but it will always involve somebody who is listening to something that they identify with. And then they are able, or someone who is like them is able to have a voice in some way with the show. And if people can put a lot of work into that and a lot of thought power into that, then you'll have a really dynamic product and a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a mystery to me why why it works, what we're doing. So, you know, I I guess I'd say there's I'm sure there's there's tons of advice and there's tons of ways you could go about doing a podcast. What's worked for us is we didn't try to invent some new thing. We just were like, what's something we're already doing that would lend itself to being a podcast? And so is there 
conversations you're having in your organization, ideas that are being shaped, you can actually just start capturing the making of those decisions and people will want to hang and listen about how that's coming. I, I think one thing that people really like about our show is that you're on a journey with us. Like we're learning as you're learning. And so sometimes you don't have to overthink it. Just kind of like bring people along on a journey with you. Also just be really authentic. Like we aren't playing parts. A lot of people think I'm like playing a part. Like I'm not. Like mm -hmm. I'm actually asking mm -hmm. genuine questions that I have. And I'm often asked like, really? You know the answer. And it's like, well, kind of like, I think sometimes I think I know the answer, but by asking again or asking in a new way, I kind of realized I didn't mm. understand it as much as I thought I did. So for me, it's about following curiosity. And there's this thing called the illusion of knowing, which is like the psychological trick that you do to yourself so that you don't go insane, which is like you pretend you understand the world more than you do. And you kind of have to. Otherwise, you literally would go nuts <laughs> if you realized how much you didn't know about what's going on around you <laughs> and inside of you. And so we do this thing like we pretend that we get it. Like, oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Where like we don't actually get it yet. And so it's kind of this permission to just be childlike and just be like, I kind of think I get it, but let's pretend I don't. And if you go in with that kind of curiosity, there's usually a lot of really cool things to discover. Yeah, for sure. And that little knowledge drop that John just did right there is exactly why he and Tim are really good on podcasts because, yeah, there's just an authentic, like, hey, this, this is what I think it is. Yeah. It's great. Curiosity is, is huge. You can bring an audience along with you by just being curious. So that's great advice. Thanks, Dan and John, for joining me today. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thanks for sharing your journey that you've been on with the podcast and hope to uh, keep listening to it for years to come. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, man. Really enjoyed that conversation with John and Dan. Now, I love John's advice there at the end. Look around and figure out what you're already doing that could be a podcast. And for them, it was the conversations that they were already having around the research and study that goes into the videos that they were creating. They were already having those conversations between John and Tim in the office, so they decided to just record them. And it's proven to be a very successful podcast with tens of millions of downloads. And I also love Dan's advice. Make sure you're honoring people's time by the way that you're editing. Edit for clarity and conciseness so that people will be glad to spend time with you on your podcast. Now, you can listen to The Bible Project with a link in the show notes. And if you're in Portland, Oregon, you should stop by for a visit. Sounds like a lot of fun, and I'll have to get up there one of these days. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Ministries of Podcast, produced by Sonomorphic. If you enjoyed today's episode, text it to a friend or share it on social media. Together, we can help more ministries grow and thrive through podcasting. And if you haven't already, follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the next one and leave a five-star review with your key takeaway from today's episode. I'd love to hear it. All right, now come back in two weeks to hear from Jason Woodruff at The Pour Over. We're going to talk about why they decided to create a podcast from their newsletter, how they monetize the newsletter and the podcast, and some exciting projects they're working on at The Pour Over, one of which just might be a new long-form podcast. So come back in a couple weeks to hear about that. Until then, keep encouraging your audience as they follow Jesus. Jesus.